Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Podcast. I'm your host, Haley Lira, and today I have a chilling story for you guys. Today I'm going to be covering the abduction of Carla Larson, a woman out of Florida who was kidnapped in 1997 in broad daylight at the grocery store, everybody's worst fear, right? Now, before I get started, I really want to thank you guys for tuning in and listening. This is something that I really love to do. I've always had a passion for true crime. It's borderline um, addictive. (laughs) So thank you so much for your continued support. I see my numbers are growing in listeners. Please share through word of mouth. That's like the number one advertisement for me right now. Anyway, let's jump in. Okay, so Carla was a new mother. She had a one-year-old daughter named Jessica, and she was actually engineering the new Disney World theme park in Orlando, Florida. She was an extremely nice, responsible, and super reliable person, is how everyone describes her. Her and her husband, Jim, had relocated to downtown Florida a few months into Carla's pregnancy for her new job. They lived in a really nice, affluent area called College Park, and they seemed to be really happy just living the perfect dream. They had their baby girl, Jessica, who was about a year old when this crime took place in 1997. So June 10th, 1997 was just like any other day for Jim and Carla. Jim had gotten a job at a hardware store at a hardware. Jim had gotten a job at a hardware store. It was uh, the Home Depot. So he would get up and go to work earlier and first. Then a little bit after him, Carla would get up with their baby girl, Jessica. She would get both of them ready, and then she'd take Jessica to daycare and make it to work by 8 a.m. Wow. Oh, man. I remember getting up early to shuffle my kids so I could get to work by 8 a.m. That's just so wild. Good for her. Superwoman. So she goes to work, and it's just like any other day. At noon... She told her coworkers, hey, I'm going to be grabbing some snacks at the grocery store because she had a meeting later that day. A few hours went by. It was around two o'clock and they got a call that Carla never made it to her meeting. Now, this was super unusual for Carla. Um, After hearing nothing by about 4.15, they'd been calling hospitals, calling into police departments, kind of seeing if something maybe weird happened. They decided it was time to call Jim, Carla's husband, and he immediately just felt like something was wrong. So he leaves work. He goes and picks up baby Jessica from daycare and he goes straight home, hoping that he could like find some sign of her. Like maybe she'd gotten sick and just had to come home and they hadn't touched base because you know, this is before cell phones and people aren't constantly texting or on social media. Now, after he got home, though, he found no sign, no clues that she'd stopped in there. He didn't see that she'd been there in a hurry or anything. So he takes care of baby Jessica. He feeds her. And after he puts her to bed around 7 p.m., he actually called the police to file a missing person report. Now, when the police arrived to Jim's house, they were super suspicious because he was just extremely upset, more upset than the typical person filing a missing person report, which is really strange to me. I figure some people are probably way out of their wits, but I don't know. 
he immediately jumped to the worst conclusions because he said that he knew something really bad had to have happened to Carla. He told them everything he knew about her day. The last place she'd gone was the grocery store for some fruit for a meeting. You know, what her regular routine was, what her regular route was to and from places. And the investigators wanted to call Carla's parents. Another reason they were kind of suspicious of Jim is because he really did not want to do that. Like he did not want to worry her family yet. And that was really strange and suspicious to him. He said he he said that he didn't want them to be concerned and think the worst yet. But they said that they needed to make sure she didn't have any domestic issues, plans to leave Jim, or plans to leave Jim and baby Jessica. This was just kind of like a way to clear and vet Jim and their situation at home. Now, all Jim wanted was to be vetted and cleared so they could figure out what was happening with Jessica. That's what he said. When they called Carla's parents, they had indicated that she had no plan to leave Jim, no plan to walk away from Jessica and Jim, and that there was no known problems between them. Jim gave police a photo and a description of Carla. She was beautiful. She was five foot eight inches, 130 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes, and she was driving a white 1995 Ford Explorer SUV. She was in her 30s. The police left Jim's immediately and followed up on her last known whereabouts, the grocery store, a grocery store in Kissimmee, Florida called Pubic's. It's so weird because my family and I went on a summer trip just a couple years ago to Kissimmee, Florida, and... Uh, It's just scary. So they were actually able to verify that she had, in fact, been at the grocery store and they got a copy of her receipt. She left there alive at 1215 and then literally just vanished, which was not looking good. She had a great job, a beautiful home, a great home life and just like a great life. Why would she leave it? She obviously hadn't. I mean, obviously not. I would not, if I heard about this missing person, I would not think she left, right? So the next morning, they go to speak to Jim again, just for a little bit more information. And he was so upset and anxious that morning that he was literally like weirding out the investigators. Um, They were even more suspicious of him until he told them something. He just said he had to come clean about And they were like, oh, my God, here it is. Here it goes. But what he told them was shocking to investigators. They had no idea. So back in August of 1990, Jim's sister, Sonia, was the victim of a very heinous crime. She and four roommates had been killed by a serial killer named Danny Rollings. Now, this was a horrific killing, and it was particularly heinous and violent and it left behind like a very bloody massacre crime scenes um very cringeworthy he was convicted and sentenced for the deaths of this particular rape and killing spree in which jim's sister and four other women were victim of now he'd killed a total of eight people and he was found guilty and sentenced to death and given the lethal injection in 2006 so This situation, though, made everybody in Jim and Carla's family, like, extremely cautious, especially Carla. Carla was so shook up that she initiated a safety program, got a Rottweiler guard dog, 
I love Rottweilers. Um, she got a security system and she would never drive with her cars unlocked. So Jim insisted she was the most cautious person person of them all because of what happened to Jim's sister. So he knew something really bad must have happened for Carla to disappear. Dude, the investigators were shocked. They were very familiar with the Danning Rowling's murders because not only was that a national sensation, it literally happened in Florida only seven years prior. So after finding this information out and leaving Jim's, they felt a lot better about Jim and they felt really bad for him. Also, also, Jim did not have time to commit this crime. His alibi checked out and he worked an hour away. So there was no way that he could have even slipped out like on a lunch break and committed this crime. Now, after finding that information out from Jim, they were really anxious to get to the Disney building site. Um, at this point, it was called the Syntex Rooney Project. Upon arrival, there were already search efforts underway, and they knew this was going to be a really hard area to search because there was just so much undeveloped land. There was like wooded areas that were uncleared, several ponds, and just really difficult terrain to trek through. While they questioned workers on the site, Milton Johnson, a worker there, said that he did see something really strange involving Carla's SUV. On their lunch break, which he took at about 1240, Milton and his co-workers would stand kind of by this pond, and they oversaw Carla's car speed out of the woods onto Interstate 4, driving totally erratically. But it wasn't Carla driving. It was somebody else. So he gave police a description. This was a white man in his 30s, overly tanned, medium build with aviator sunglasses. By the way, this is in no way the husband's description, in case anybody was wondering. I will have pictures posted on my websites. All right, so many employees actually verified this, saying they'd seen the same thing and the same description of the man. Now, Milton told police about that day, and then he sat with a composite artist the next day where investigators had flyers made for search team efforts that were passing them out the community was shook this woman had been abducted in broad daylight on her lunch break from a parking lot that's just way too scary right like I said they also verified Jim's alibi he was clocked in at work he worked too far to be able to like slip out and do anything with no one noticing and he'd been totally vetted and cleared it was 48 hours into the search for Carla, and this search was done by foot, horseback, helicopter, and canine when Carla's body, her remains, were found in the woods, undressed with a faded blue towel and piece of carpet kind of thrown over her. Unfortunately, it was super hot. I mean, this is summertime in Florida where not only is it really hot, it's really humid. It's like, it's like a sauna there, okay? She was fairly decomposed at this point, and everyone was like totally saddened and alarmed at this news. For one, how heartbreaking is it that that's what happened to her? And then for two, it's very alarming that whoever the individual is, is still at large. Investigators were super suspicious about Chris Gramps and Jack Sanborn, the two gentlemen who actually found her. 
Um, just because they sort of had dumb luck stumbling upon her and their story almost sounded too good to have happened. So here's what happened. It's because the area had been searched before many, many times. Like I said, helicopter, horseback, canines. Um, this was a massive search for Carla. And so they were like, how the hell did these two random guys um, actually stumble upon her in an area that had been cleared? And they said that they had been on foot searching like the same square mileage area over and over just a pure determination that they were going to search to the best of their ability to find Carla and they were going to leave and they said let's do it one more time so on the last loop through they said that the wind kind of picked up and they smelt a very foul odor that one of them recognized as an odor of something decaying um he's a hunter so they followed this decaying odor and when they got to a point where they really weren't quite sure which direction to go I'm not sure if it was just so overwhelming or if the wind stopped carrying it I don't know but they used an old hunting trick and that's where you light a lighter or a match and you follow whatever direction the flame is leaning towards. And this actually led them straight to Carla who was decomposing, but she was visibly there, poorly covered with a faded blue towel and a piece of carpet, severely beaten and naked in the woods. The two men's alibi did check out. This was not just a case of dumb luck to be dismissive over. This was dedication to the search of Carla. But it was kind of suspicious also because instead of immediately calling search and rescue, I mean, whoever you're supposed to call if you actually find the body, I'm not sure. Um, but instead of calling them, they walked out of there, got in their cars, um, I don't know if they went home first, but they didn't call them out to Carla. They waited a little bit and then went into investigators with the information, which is weird. That is weird. But they were totally vetted, checked out their alibis. It wasn't them. They were just dedicated to the search of Carla, and they did get lucky and find her. Decomposition ruins a great deal of physical evidence. It was very obvious that Carla was beaten up. And they could tell that she'd been strangled and died of suffocation. In fact, there was still something wrapped around her throat. Now, it was apparent a sexual assault had been attempted but not completed. And this was likely why Carla was left so badly beaten. But they think that was only part of the motive. They um, think that the perpetrator also robbed Carla because Carla usually wore about $15,000 worth of jewelry in this, she had a beautiful pair of diamond earrings that she never took off ever. In fact, a coworker said that she asked her once about it. And she's like, oh, my earrings. Thank you. I love my earrings. I never take them off. I even sleep in them. So all her jewelry was missing. And so was her SUV. We gather everything we know about Carla's findings and put that information into the media along with the bolo which is be on the lookout for the vehicle, the su suspect composite drawing, and whereabout Carla was last seen alive and where she had found, along with a $15,000 reward. While hunting for Carla's killer, no real information really was coming about, but they still held a memorial for Carla in College Park where 200 people were present to mourn the loss. She was a very well-loved, admired, and missed member of the community. 
Due to the fact that baby Jessica did not have much time with her mother, the attendees were given little notebooks where they were able to write down things about Carla so that baby Jessica could have memories and information about her mom as she got older, which is so touching and thoughtful. I I mean, that's a great idea. Investigators were basically waiting to find that damn car. And they got a break in the case on June 16th, six days after her initial disappearance. The SUV fitting Carla's description was found smoldering on the side of a road in a neighboring town. But Carla's SUV was white and this one was black. (sighs) Now, as clever as this person thought they were, the vehicle had obviously been spray painted black and the investigators quickly realized it was in fact a white SUV and checked the uh, VIN number to find it was Carla's. So they found Carla. They found her vehicle. This was clearly a robbery with a failed sexual assault. And they even had a composite of the perpetrator who had to have committed this crime in broad daylight. But that's like where the case stopped. They had no real leads to go with. Now, that's until police got a call from a woman named Crystal. Listen, I know a Crystal. Crystal's always got the dirt, okay? Crystal's always know what's going on. So, Crystal was on a family trip with her husband and her children in Florida. They were staying in a Kissimmee and a hotel, or motel, really, right across the street from the pubics that Carla had been kidnapped at. Pubics is like a grocery store. Okay, and so she and her husband, John, was his name, John Huggins, they got into an argument when he actually physically attacked Crystal and tried to choke her. Now, she escaped his grasp and was actually able to lock herself in the bathroom until she waited for him to fall asleep. Like, that's really serious and so scary. So when he fell asleep, she snuck out and locked her and her children in a the room next door, which they had actually gotten for the kids. She said checkout was at 11 a.m., but John did not come back to the hotel until 1. I would not have been waiting on his ass, but okay. So she said when he showed up at 1 p.m., he looked like shit. He was sweating. He was disheveled. He had a knot on his head, and he told her, load up the kids and go home now. So she did just as John said, and she actually drove home to her mom's, which is where they lived. Shortly after Crystal got home, John was a little bit behind her in the SUV. John told her the white SUV was a rental, but after she heard about what happened to the woman in the news, she put the pieces together, and she actually figured out it was John, but now John was gone. He took off with her sister, Crystal, his, his, his lady, his baby mama. Yeah, he actually took off with her sister, which is the weirdest plot to twist to this story I've heard. So before he left with Crystal's sister, John actually left Carla's SUV with a buddy named Nick Archer, who only lived like a quarter mile from where the SUV was found smoldering. Okay, red flag, right? Like, Captain Obvious. You you know, never fish in your own backyard, they say. You don't dump a fucking car on fire linked to a crime. (laughs) Like, around the corner. How lazy. So, fortunately, though, police did not have to search much for John because he was arrested for larceny. 
So the police go to question him, and he denies ever driving the SUV. He says that Nick and Crystal are framing him, which, I mean, seems a bit plausible, I guess, at first. Um, It's a good kind of, like, way to point the finger back. But if you take into account the fact that John did not run off with Crystal's sister till after this crime was committed, it's hard to find a real motive for why Crystal and Nick would have done this other than if they did this off the cup to an innocent woman just to frame Nick before he ran off with Crystal's sister, which still doesn't make any sense. So they check on Nick and Crystal's alibis, and both of their alibis check out, and they're cleared. When they conducted a search of John Huggins' residency and the surrounding property, was was actually his mother-in-law, Crystal's mother's home, and shed, they found Carla's jewelry hidden in his mother-in-law's shed inside of an electrical junction box. <laughs> so he was arrested and he went on trial January 25th, 1999. So this is about a year and a half after he'd brutally raped, beaten, and strangled Carla. And he pled not guilty, y'all. Okay? Not guilty. So the working theory is that he was uncontrollably angry I mean he's obviously a psychopath and I guarantee you I guarantee you he probably did drugs I mean they spray painted a fucking car black okay now in a fit of rage he decided that he was going to go rob somebody and he just happened to stumble across Carla in the pubic's parking lot where he then drove her to the wooded area near the Disney construction. And I don't know if he chose this site or if maybe she chose this site because hoping maybe somebody would see, right? Like maybe someone I know will see me out there because the construction workers even recognized her vehicle. So this is when he made her remove her clothes and give him her jewelry when they were out in the woods Following that, he went to sexually assault her, but they believe he was unable to. Either he couldn't get erect or he couldn't climax. And this put him into an even larger fit of rage where he then strangled and beat Carla to death. Afterwards, he fled the scene with her jewelry and the SUV. Although he pled not guilty, June 1999, he was found guilty and he he was sentenced to death in Florida by a vote of eight to four. This, y'all, is like a truly haunting crime to me because, uh, you know, parking lots are already hard sometimes to walk through, let alone when you know that the boogeyman is real and they do lurk around corners and they do wait for the right moment to strike. My condolences go to Carla's friends, family, loved ones, and especially her husband and daughter, Jessica. It's so sad that that family had to relive two awful tragedies in one family tree. Seriously, you guys, I'm already one of those people that walk to parking lots like keys in between my fingers, water bottle, or whatever heavy object I have in my hand to strike with, gouge the eyes. Like I prep for this. I work in a warehouse and I have to walk across a huge parking lot and I think about this every time. So guys, stay vigilant. Okay. (sighs) Thank you guys so much for tuning into this podcast episode. Go check out Storytime Slayer, which is my Facebook or story underscore time underscore Slayer for my Instagram, if that's more your style. And you can also email me at storytimepods at gmail.com. I'm always interested in getting 
requests or information maybe about cases that I didn't know or just like little fun stuff. If you ever just want to talk to me, please feel free to reach out to me on social media or my email. I would love for you to leave me a review on Apple Podcasts, preferably five stars, but honesty is always the best policy. Anyway, guys, have a great week. Bye.